Hello everyone, welcome to the Hillfields Church Podcast where we talk about Jesus, how much we love him and what he's doing in our church. Here's this week's message. We pray it blesses you, but most importantly, that it changes you. Check it out. Okay, if you've got a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 21 and from verse 22. As you're, as you're finding out, I'm just going to give you a bit of a backstory to, before we get to Genesis chapter 21. So Abraham, he is uh, promised by God right at the beginning. You go right back to the start of his story. There's, there's this passage that talks about what God's going to do through him. And he's going to make him a father of nations. And that he's going to have descendants that can't be counted. And um, this is a promise of God, yeah? Promise of God? Yeah? Okay, You're just checking your vocal. Okay. It's a promise of God. Now, there's a slight problem with this promise, okay? One of the issues is, is that um, Sarah is 90 years old and Abraham's 100. And, and, and the other kind of issue is, is that there's a medical condition going on with Sarah that she cannot actually have children. So God has given a promise, and there are numerous promises in the Word of God, yeah, over our lives? Yeah, correct? Yeah, good. And the promise has been given to them, but the circumstances don't seem to align with the promise. God is saying something that actually, if we're really getting really honest, facts are not aligning with the promise. Maybe you get uh, a doctor's um, a, a letter through explaining and saying something that's wrong with you or a scan that they've shown you or that's... <laughs> maybe, maybe you get a bill through the post that says that's it. Maybe the mortgage company. Maybe the. Maybe you're just in a in this in a situation where you've got one letter after another rejecting you for a job. These are facts, are they not? Facts. These are they're there. They're, this, this is the truth. This is what it is. This is what the the doctors have seen. People that know things are better than we do, have been able to look and see and say this is what is wrong with you. This is what's in your body. This is what's going on, and this was what was going the facts regarding Sarah's condition were facts that she couldn't have children she got to 90 years old it wasn't like they weren't trying but they she couldn't have children their age didn't really help either so the promise and the circumstances are not aligning but God said it yeah yeah, yeah, God said it. So if God said it, why is he not looking at the facts? If God has promised certain things over your life, but your circumstances don't align with that promise, why is God not looking at the facts? He's the author 
and the finisher of our faith, he doesn't look at the facts. He already knows the end. He already sees what he can do. He already knows what he can do, and he already knows how it's going to work out. So if God said it, it trumps what is surrounding you right now, what the circumstances are right now, what the diagnosis might be, what the letter that's coming through the post might say, or those continued rejections of you can't get a job, you're not good enough, you're not the right person. Do you know God can work beyond that? Because he's not looking at the facts, he's looking at the end. And if he said it, do you not think he might do it? Is he a liar? No, it says he's not a man that he would lie. God is not like us. God cannot lie. So if he said it, think he might do it? So Abraham, right, gets the promise. The promise is spoken over him, early doors. I mean, if you read through the chapter, God emphasizes this over and over again. Like, something happens, he says it again. Something happens, he says it again. But he says it right at the beginning. So Abraham nearly gives his wife away. Yeah. Some men are amen, right? No, don't do that. Not Jesus, not Jesus. Okay. He nearly gives his wife away to a king because he's so scared that he might die if... um, the king knows that Sarah's his wife because Sarah's beautiful. So he's thinking, well, they'll, you know, he'll, he'll want Sarah, he'll kill me. So he says, right, we're going over to the king. Tell him that you're my sister, okay? So that's what they do. So then the king takes a shine into Sarah, yeah? And then it all kind of gets a bit, God has to intervene, yeah? Because Abraham's made a bit of a mistake because the promise has already been given, Yeah? He said this is what's going to happen, and things that need to happen haven't happened yet. But God has said it. But he's not trusting God. He's not trusting God in this moment. He's not trusting God at all. He's absolutely filled with fear. Oh, I could die. Well, God's like, I've already promised you that there's, there's more to come. So he gets himself in a bit of a pickle. God has to bail him out. The king's like, why did you do this to us? Because they end up getting messed. God messes about with them to protect Sarah. Anyway, it all works out okay. And then a little bit further down the line, Sarah, they get the promise, and Sarah goes, right, clearly I can't have children because the facts don't align with the promise. So God's maybe just, you know, he's obviously telling us what to do, but he's probably just got a few things out of sync, and clearly I'm not the person that's meant to be involved in this. So Sarah organizes for... Um, is there any young people? Okay, okay any very little young people. Um, Sarah organizes for his, uh, for her servant to sleep with Abraham so that the servant can have a child to try and fulfill the promise that God has given. Because that's what God would do, yeah? Doesn't sound like it. So this is, this is what their life looks like. This is what their life looks like. Who likes promises? God's promises? I like God's promises, yeah? There's a lot of them in the Word of God, yeah? Sometimes the Holy Spirit drops some promises in you as well, yeah? Has anyone had that? Where God says, I'm going to do this, and then it drops in, and then you're like, oh, and you have to battle through it a little bit. But when you see it happen, you're like, oh, I like that promise. That was great. We love promises. Catch this if you're writing notes. But we hate the process. 
We hate the process, but you cannot have the promise without the process. So there are promises. God says, I have plans for you. I, I know your future and their plans, they're not going to harm you. They're going to prosper you. This is a promise of God, yeah? Sounds great. Now, you will get some pre preachers around the world going, what that means, if you give us money, God will give you money back. We're all going to be prosperous. Hallelujah, yeah? That's not what it means. What it means is if you are willing to let God take you through the process, then you will end up in the promise. But you won't be the same again after it. Yeah, it won't be this smooth ride. It will be tough. It's, it's an impossible process, isn't it? Because if you're in a storm, it seems impossible. If you've got a diagnosis, it seems impossible. If, if you've got that letter in the post that says you're not really any good for anything, you're never going to get a job, it, it seems really final and it seems really hard to push through. But God says you're going to have to go through that process because I promise is at the end of it. My promise is at the end of it. But I'm not going to just give it to you. You will have to go through an impossible process to receive the impossible promise. We love promises from God. We hate the process, but we can't have it. We can't have the promise without the process. So guess what? Guess what? Okay, good. Okay. God only goes and does what he says he said he would do. Sarah gets pregnant. And she has a baby, Isaac. And Isaac is going to be the beginning of the descendants of the promise that God has said over Abraham. Now catch this, a bit of homework for you to do. We are going to look over this ourselves. We are going to look over this anyway. But go and read it again for yourself, just in case you think I'm lying. Check out how quickly Abraham's trust and faith in God switches when Isaac turns up. I've just given you like some brief details, but he didn't trust that he was going to survive. So he had to lie about Sarah being his wife. Sarah did not trust the process that she could get pregnant. And Abraham went through with it. So they didn't trust God with that. But when Isaac shows up, something shifts in Abraham's mindset and in his attitude. Before this, Abraham's life is like 100% EastEnders. I mean, like, read through it. I mean, read through Jacob and others. There's some interesting things that go on. Some of you have started to do the holy thing, yeah? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about holiness. Maybe you've got rid of EastEnders. Well, praise God, you don't have to get rid of it completely. You can read it in Genesis. It's mess after mess. Abraham trying to work out how to do things that God hasn't asked him to work out how to do. How can I fulfill the promise of God? How can I sort out what God said he'll do? How can I fix this? How can I change this? How can I adjust it? But once the promise comes, against all odds, Abraham's faith changes his mindset, his attitude towards God is strong and it's rooted. If we want to have a faith that's unshakable, 
we've got to let God take us through impossible processes towards the promise that he's given us. Because once we witness an impossible promise, surely our faith should only grow from then there on in. Yeah? Amen? amen. Who said amen? Amen? Not many? A few people? People scared to put their hand up now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you said amen though, so you're lying. Not, but not, so. Yeah, okay, right. Pray for that person. Okay. Genesis chapter 21. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Let's see how, how far we get. Okay. And it came to pass in that time that Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of the army, army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me and with my offspring or with the posterity or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham swear, said, I swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven new lambs and a flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven new lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, you, you will take these seven new lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore, he called that place Bathsheba because the two of them swore an oath there. Okay. Bathsheba means well of oath or well of seven. Abraham's faith before Isaac was full of him trying to make it work by doing the work that God was not asking him to do. Anyone been doing the work that God hasn't asked you to do? How did that work out for you? Yeah, didn't work out too good? Yeah? It never does, does it? Oi. Oh, thanks very much, Lara. That's a bit delayed, though. You've got, you work, you've got to get better with that. Yeah, you've got to work on that, Lara. He's new. Sorry, he's new to the job. <laughs> but when Isaac showed up, Things changed. Oh. Is there any youth? I just realized we're meant to turn the camera on. They haven't done it, have they? You, you meant to do it. Tasha's looking really guilty for some reason. No, okay. No, no, it's like, hi, it's live stream. But it has to be recorded, doesn't it? The Janice knows this. Oh, you did it? Oh, well done. I just realized, I'm just going to wait for a second. But when Isaac showed up, things changed. We go around in a life trying to do things our way. When we try to work things out ourselves, we end up in all sorts of mess. Perhaps like Abraham, you've tried to fix things and instead made more mess. Maybe created pain, put people in harm, impacted lives in a negative way because in trying to second guess God, you actually brought problems. But 
But guess what? God only goes and does what he said he'll do. Isn't that incredible that he actually backs himself up? It's us that doubt him, but he never fails us. He turns up exactly on time. We're just frustrated with his timing most of the time. Well, it's not when I wanted it. It's not in the way I wanted. God's like, I did it. You're so focused on other things, you're missing it. Now, you've got to catch this. When God gives the promise, and there's plenty of promises over our lives, but when God gives the promise, our focus goes to the promise. Our, our, our focus, our eyes go on the promise. Like, okay, I'm going to have a promise. There's a promise coming. Can't wait. Maybe like Christmas. Some of you might love Christmas. And you're, you're, you're one of those weird people that when you get to like November the 1st, maybe even October, you're in a place where you're like, you're like, oh, can't wait. Now, now everything gets bypassed because you're, all you're looking at is Christmas Day. Focusing on that. It's the same thing with our promises that we can sometimes get a target and we just look at the target, but there's a process that we're supposed to go through before we get to the promise. And we miss the process. We miss even talking to God about the instructions that we should be fulfilling in that moment because we're so focused on the promise and how it's supposed to be delivered. And this is what happened with Abraham and Sarah. They got given the promise. God reiterated it a few times. But they were so focused on like, well, how does that happen? How do we get it? How do, is it going to happen? Well, God said, this is what I'm going to do. So they just had to trust God with the process. But instead, they got involved in it. And they started trying to fix it and work towards it. And they put all their attention on the potential of Isaac turning up. To the point that they even brought another child into the world called Ishmael. And they tried to say, this is the promise of God. Look, and, and God says, that's not my promise. This is what I mean by causing pain. Because it caused a lot of pain for all those involved. We focus too much on what we think is the main issue that we neglect what we were doing and what we're meant to be putting our attention on in order for the promise to be fulfilled. Until this point, Abraham had allowed people to take what was his. Not only, not only what was his, not only what he had was he would suggest was his his possession but something that he had grafted and dug out and put energy and effort in he he says this is my well i dug this well out but someone's come in and stolen it but how did that happen because abraham's eyes were not on digging out that well protecting that well and and position being positioning himself ready for the promise of isaac He'd taken his eyes off of the process and he put it so much on trying to fulfill the promise that the thief was able to come in and steal and take that which he had dug, that which he had grafted, that which he had worked towards. There may be people here today, there definitely is people here today that have not long given your lives to Jesus and when you came to Jesus, you started digging some stuff, getting rid of some junk, emptying out the stuff 
Yeah, so the well could exist, so the water, so God can move in. But when you started taking your eyes off of Jesus, maybe you stopped attending church. Maybe you just stopped reading your word. Maybe you stopped praying. You stopped being intentional with your faith. The thief came in and started filling up your well. The thief came in and started stealing that which you had already started to dig out. God's saying to someone today, it's time to take that back, that which was dug. And I don't know who this is for. I think it's for a few of you, but it's time to take back. You've turned your back on what you're supposed to be attending to, and in the time that you were doing that, the enemy has swooped in and stolen. And I'm not talking about just new believers this year. I'm talking about people that have been in their faith for decades. And you've been digging and you've been grafting. And you've been saying, right, I'm going to build. I'm going to build. I'm going to be involved. And it's all God. It's, this isn't you, your energy. You've been building for the kingdom of God in, in, in anticipation that the promise is on its way. Maybe revival will finally hit Britain. And I'm going to be digging. I'm going to get ready. But just as it gets a bit tougher, just as the world gets a bit darker, you start going, I, I can't dig anymore. I can't. I can't keep an eye on this anymore. I, 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 where's the promise? Oh, let's just look for revival. Let's just look for revival. This is, and instead of focusing on what you're supposed to be doing, you put your eyes on the promise. And now you're trying to fulfill that promise by doing things your way. And you've turned your back on what God has actually told you to attend to. And the enemy has swooped in and stolen. And so maybe some of that... that, that that faith that you had when you were younger in your faith has started to die because, because God hasn't showed up on time, your time. He hasn't done it your way. And you just gave up. You put your attention on other things. And God is saying it's time to take back that which was dug. You cannot enjoy the promise that God has given you if you've not created the culture for it to live in your life. Shall I say it again? You cannot enjoy the promise that God has given you if you have not created the culture for it to live in your life. Isaac was promised. Abraham wasn't ready for Isaac. And I'll explain why. As soon as Isaac arrived, Abraham went to work on creating a place for the promise of God to fully work. For, for the promise of God to have a place. He, he got it straight away. You know, because his faith, he, his trust, his faith, he was struggling. But as soon, as soon as Isaac had arrived, he was in. God had already done the impossible promise. God had already provided. God had already made it happen. So when he had an Isaac in his hand, he didn't have to doubt God anymore. God had already done the impossible. But he had neglected where he was meant to be with Isaac. So he got it straight away. He goes to Abimelech. He makes peace. He also has to buy back the well that was his in the first place. That sucks, but that is the cost of turning your back on the mission that God has given you. Sometimes you're going to have to pay a higher price to get back which was already yours. 
church doesn't want to pay this price anymore. The church has neglected too much. The church has not been on watch as it should have been. The church has not been digging wells in order for the Holy Spirit to flow. The, the church has not been a well for people to come to. The church has had its doors shut. The church has had conditions on people whether they can come in or not. They don't meet the standards, you get lost. The church hasn't done what it should be doing. It's turned its back. And in doing so, they're not going to be ready when God moves. This message isn't just about our church. This message is for the church. If you know anyone in anyone else's church, I'm quite happy for you to send this message to them. 32. Thus then they made a covenant at Bathsheba. So Abimelech rose with Philcol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Bathsheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. This tree, the tamarisk tree, is key to this message. It is known as an, in ancient times as a tree that you do not plant for yourselves. It's not a tree that you will enjoy. You plant the tree for the future generations to enjoy. He's got the promise of God, hasn't he? You're going to be the father of nations. And your descendants will not be able to be counted like the stars or the sand on the seashore. That's how many people are, are going to come from, from Isaac. As soon as Isaac arrives, he changes. He's on, he's on point. He realizes, oh my gosh, I've neglected the well. I need to get the well back. He goes to that place. He, dig, he gets the well back. He, 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 he got, he's got the well. He's, got, he's at Bathsheba. He's got the well. But then at that same place, he plants the tamarisk tree. And he's not planting it for himself. He's not, a, he's not planting it so it looks nice in his garden. He is planting it for the generations that are to come to enjoy. What you do today, what God is leading you in and guiding you towards is not just about today. It's about tomorrow. It's interesting that the word tamarisk has the word risk in it. To place your efforts, your digging in the future of those who are to come is a risk. It is easier to keep it all to yourself. But our digging is not about us. It's about those who are going to benefit from it. And we're a selfish bunch. We want to dig for us. I want to dig and I want to know the benefit I'm going to get. I want to know what am I going to get? What's my return? If I give, you know, even giving to the church, giving offerings, giving offerings to God, well, what's my return going to be? But if you go to the wrong church, they'll tell you that you'll give and you'll get, come back to you. But the truth is, it's not about the rate of return. It's about the fact that you're just meant to give. God takes care of the rest. God will provide. God will do all the rest of it. So are you willing to dig for a bunch of people that might not even appreciate it? Or are you trying to work that out already? Like, oh, well, I, I don't really know. What is going to be their attitude? Am I going to get the dodgy generation? I want to know that they're going to really appreciate this well. This is our attitude. I'm sorry, but we're all like it. If I'm not going to get something from it now, I'm not going to do nothing with it. What, do, what benefit is in it for me? This is the problem with the church. The church wants everything now. 
Where's the move of God? Let's go there. Oh, it's not here anymore. Let's go here. Oh, it stopped. Okay, let's go. And they're trying to get a move of God to happen in the church, but nobody, nobody wants to just invest in the kingdom of God. Not for them to benefit in the moment. I just want to be in the place. How about you just graft and you graft and you graft that maybe you see nothing. But the generation to come will be greatly blessed by what you graft. It's a risk. We're selfish. We want, we want rates. We want returns. We want to know, what am I going to get out of it? We do this with our faith. Okay, Jesus, this Jesus dude, that sounds like a good guy. Yeah, sounds like, what, what did he do? Die on the cross? Okay, okay. So what do I have to do? You receive it? Yeah, okay. Well, what do I get out of it? It's not really about what you get. It's about what you're going to give. Because he's already given you everything. People get offended by this message. There are wishy-washy Christians in this world that get offended when you say, well, Jesus died for me. I want to give everything back to him, everything I can. And be like, oh, he's so extreme. Oh, he's so extreme in your faith. Oh, I just want to go to church when I want to go to church. You know what I'm saying? Stop getting in my grill. Stop making it. Get away from me. Back down. Oh, you're so, oh, you're so judgmental. It's like, I haven't said anything about you. I'm just telling you, just like we sang, I love Jesus so much, I want people to know it. I want them to know it through just the way I am. I want people to see it. People get offended, but this is the problem with the church. People have allowed people to come in and say, well, faith, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm ranting right now. I'm not, it's not even in my notes. When people say something to me like, I have a private faith, does anyone else want to punch them? Is it just me? <laughs> well, I have a private faith with the Lord. What is, he literally tells us to publicly declare our faith. He tells us to get in front of everybody and get wet, have a bath in front of people. You can't get more like in your face. I've got a private faith. No, you've, you, you, you've set the conditions on God. You've told him that I, I like the idea of heaven. So I'm just going to accept that bit, and then the rest of it's mine. I'm going to build the rest of it. There's such a selfishness in the church, and the generation has been skipped in the church because a generation decided to exclude them. It decided to keep hold of its digging, and it said, it's mine, and no one else is having it. They decided not to plant tamarisk trees for others to enjoy, and this is the state of the church today. Are we willing to dig for people we may never meet or who will never know that they will benefit from your digging? How dare they? Are you winning? It's a question for you to answer before you and God. Where's my heart, God? Am I wanting it right now? Do I want the results right now? Do I want to receive it right now? And if I don't, then I'm out? Or am I willing to do a lot of digging, a lot of grafting for something I may never see? The church is standing today because people put money in years ago that never saw it do what God is doing now. Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read this really fast because I've got to get through a lot. Now it came to pass after these days that God tested Abraham 
And he said to them, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moria, offer him there as a burnt offering, and on one of the mountains of which, you, um, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took the two young men with him. Isaac, his son, spit the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said, Young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go up yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son... God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together, and they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, and then he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. There was behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said by myself I have sworn says the Lord because you have done this thing and not withheld your son your only son blessing I will bless you and multiply I will multiply your descendants as the stars in heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies and in the seed of all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Bathsheba and Abraham dwelt Dwell in Bathsheba. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Okay, I need some water. Okay, I could preach a whole sermon on this chapter. I'm not going to, but we could. We haven't got time. Here's the summary. God, after promising Isaac, says to Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him to me. Now, we can try and find certain things in this story to say Abraham was freaking out and he was angry and he questioned God and he was confused. But no matter how much you want to pull it apart, Abraham doesn't show any of these signs. He doesn't show any of these things. Why? Because Isaac is the promise of God. If Isaac's there and he's promised by God and he's already known that he's had to go through the impossible process to get the impossible promise, do you think he's got enough faith to know that God's got a plan? Abraham's not worried about what God is saying because Isaac is already a miracle, an impossibility. Before Isaac, Abraham struggled to see what was possible with God. But when God did what was impossible and provided Isaac to him and Sarah, he didn't struggle to believe that God was faithful. And the writer of Hebrews backs this up. Hebrews 11 verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom he said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, 
even from the dead, from which he had also received him in a figurative sense. This passage confirms that Abraham had such faith in God's promise that he was willing to kill Isaac, knowing that even if he got that far, God would raise Isaac from the dead. That's not the same faith as sleeping with your maidservant because you can't believe that the promise can happen. Something changed when Isaac showed up. Now in the passage in Genesis, also it says this, stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go up yonder and worship, and we, not I, we will come back to you. Church, once God gives you an Isaac, you will not doubt the promise God has ahead for you. Is that really a true statement though for us? How many Isaacs do we actually have in our lives? I've got a lot of Isaacs, a lot of impossible promises. Thinking about it right now? Anyone got some impossible promises that have happened in their lives, yeah? Maybe more than one Isaac, yeah? You've got a few Isaacs in your life. Isaac shouldn't even be there according to science, logic, and reality. God has already shown that he can do the impossible. And that he will do what he promised. Remember your Isaac. Maybe you've forgotten your Isaac. Remember your Isaac. Do you know what? This is, I, I am going to rebuke the older generation, sorry. <laughs> if you are older in your faith, and I'm included in this because I'm a bit older. If you're older in your faith and you're still speaking lies over yourself that you know are not true because you already know what God says about you, what do you think the young generation is going to come in and believe? You see, if God has already said you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you are God's masterpiece. I have a plan for you. We should be living in that promise, not just because it's what he said, but because he's already probably done it numerous times. So by the time a young generation comes in, an older generation shouldn't be saying, oh yeah, I don't really believe in myself. We should be there by now. And I'm not rebuking you, I'm rebuking me too, because I'm just as negative about me as you are. Not about me, maybe you are negative about me, but do you know what I mean? We're just as negative about ourselves as each other. But that's not what the word of God says. That's not the promise of God. That's not the truth. And it isn't even the truth that you understand because God has shown up and given you Isaac after Isaac after Isaac. You haven't just got one. You've got plenty. So our faith shouldn't be decreasing as we get older. It should be increasing. We should be growing just like with Abraham. We can look like Abraham does. Oh, I don't know how God's going to do it. Oh, no. Yeah, I would try and fix the problem, yeah? But when Isaac shows up, Abraham is showing us, man, there's no reason for me to doubt God now. Has anyone here recovered from a sickness they never thought they would recover from? Yeah? You've come through something that was impossible. The impossible process has led to the impossible promise. You've already got an Isaac. You are an Isaac. Because you were in darkness, the impossible place that was so impossible to get out yourself, you couldn't climb out of it. 
And Jesus said, I, uh, I, I, what did he say? Something like, I reached in, poured me out, set me on the rock. Yeah, did he do the same for you or is that just me? Was it just me that got that? Is that just my faith? Is that just what he's done for me or did he do it for you? You are an Isaac. You are an Isaac. You already are. That, that's enough of a miracle in itself. There are many people here that said, if I hadn't found Jesus, I'd be dead right now. Yeah? Well, you're an Isaac. So what is impossible for God? What was that? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing's impossible for God. So is our faith increasing or is it decreasing? That song, I think Vara picked it, brilliant song. I didn't even know it was going to get sung. But the truth is, our faith shouldn't be shaken or changed when we're in a valley or on a mountain or whether we're poor or we're rich. We should already have learned that lesson. If we've, if we've come through years of our faith, of knowing Jesus, we should already be in a place to be able to say, nothing is impossible for God because he's already taken me through the impossible process. You are an Isaac, but you've got quite a lot of Isaacs, I think, in your life. Why do we doubt why don't we start shifting the way that we portray ourselves to others, particularly the younger generation that is going to come in, and instead of speaking death over ourselves so we can give them permission to do it over them, how about we start owning, I already know who I am in Christ. I already know the truth. I mean, is anyone like me that you can, you can give the advice to everyone else, the truth of God, the word of God, and say, this is what the word of God says. I'm doing it now. Yeah, this is what the word of God says. This is the truth. This is how we're meant to live. This is who he says you are. Oh, so someone comes along and says, I feel this. You go, well, that's not what I see. I see great things. I see what God can do, yeah? Is anyone like that with other people, yeah? What you like it with? Why are we not like it with ourselves? Isn't that sin? Isn't it sin to take something that God says is precious and say it's not? To lower its level? I'm not here to puff people up. What I'm here to say is that God says promises over you. God says statements over who you are and who you are to him. We've got to make sure that our daughters, mothers, you've got to make sure that your daughters know how beautiful they are because you know how beautiful you are. If you're consistently saying, oh, I'm just ugly, man, I'm ugly, what do you think they're going to grow up to think? We've got to change the way because it's, it's sin. It really is sin. It's taking something that God says is truth and we're saying we're not going to believe your truth. What are the promises? That's just about image. There are so many promises. Trusting God that he's a provider. Is that easy to do? Men, if you're here, man, we're the providers, aren't we? Yeah? We're the ones that have got to go out and hunt the stuff and, you know, get the spear ready and sharpened. Bring the food home. Single mums, you know what I'm talking about, yeah? But are we really willing to actually trust God to be our provider? Because he does say it, does he? Do not worry about the things you would even eat. I am your father, is what he says, and I know what you need. These are promises of God. These aren't just statements. God's not just throwing things in there because they sound nice. They're not just nice quotes that you can put on Facebook. Yeah? These are truth. This is the truth of God speaking to you about who he is to us as people. Our provider. A miracle worker. 
a healer, a deliverer, a restorer. This is who he is. So Isaac lives, they walk down the hill, which incidentally is what will become Jerusalem, the place where the sacrifice of the only begotten son of God will be. There's a whole nother preach for that another day. So Abraham, this is scripture, so Abraham returned to the young men and they rose and they went together to Bathsheba. And Abraham dwelt, which means lived at Bathsheba where the well that he dug out is and where the tree that he had planted, not for himself, but for the generation to come, is. Can I carry on? You can go home now if you want. Carry on, you sure? Claire said, what's the time? You can go. Off you toddle. Go to Genesis chapter 26. Abraham takes Isaac to the place where he dug, the place where he planted the tree. Genesis chapter 26. This is about Isaac now. Abraham's died. There was a famine in the land beside the first famine, and there was... In the days of Abraham and Isaac and Abimelech, the king of Philistines, in Gerah. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Um, live in the land of which I tell you. Dwell in the land and I will be with you. Bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars in heaven. I will give you to you your descendants all the lands and all your seeds, all the earth, nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dealt in Gerah, and the men of, of the place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister. Hang on a minute. This sounds like the same story. And he, he was afraid to say she's my wife because he thought, lest the man in that place will kill me for Rebecca because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass... When he had been there for a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through the window and saw that there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is it that you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, which means had sex with your wife, and, who would brought with, and, and they would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all these people saying, he who touches this man's wife shall be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped. And in the same year, a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man, be man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. It's a lot of prosperouses. For he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which the father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah, and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water 
which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up with, after the death of Abraham, and he called them by the names which his father had called them. Also, also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerah quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Isek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also, so he called that one Sitna. And he moved from there and dug out another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called his name um, something. And because he said, for now, the Lord has made room for us, we shall be fruitful in the land. It may be that those who came before us, who dug wells, who prayed, who grafted for the kingdom, that the generation that came after neglected their responsibility to keep, to get the, del- the wells dug, functioning and the, and the water flowing, replenishing the land that was dried up. This is what the problem's been. In our personal lives, but also in the, the, the life of the church. Abraham dug the wells, the enemy came and filled them in. If we're not willing to realize that the wells need to be dug so the water can flow over dry land, and that it's the church's responsibility to ensure that the water, the Holy Spirit, is allowed to flow through the land. This nation wants to know why it's not prosperous anymore. Why it's in a dark place? Well, it's because the world and the church decided to fill in the well of the Holy Spirit. They filled it in and they didn't let the Holy Spirit operate or move. And if you don't let the Holy Spirit function, and you don't let the Holy Spirit move in your personal life and in the life of the church, then it's dead. And it's dry. And every church is meant to be a well in which the Holy Spirit flows that people can go and drink from that well. So if people go into a church and there is no well because it's been filled in, how can they change? How can this nation be changed if the wells are filled in? People have dug those wells out. People in the past have tried to dig to ensure that the Holy Spirit can flow. We've seen revivals in the past. People that grafted, prayed, sowed. For a generation that neglected it. It's time that we start to dig out the wells again. The church has pretty much said, we do not need the Holy Spirit. The church has grabbed a spade and said, we don't want that part of, um, of the Bible. And they've filled in with loads of junk, loads of rubbish, loads of opinions, 
there's a viewpoint. So now the church is compromising. Why is it compromising? Because there's no Holy Spirit flowing through. Because instead of hearing and listening to the Holy Spirit, they filled the well in with all their opinions, viewpoints, pressure from society. Oh, the Bible's not relevant anymore. It's got, God's, God's, not, God's got to grow up. You know, those kind of things. God's got to get with the times. Yeah, you're right. I think that's right. Yeah, let's rewrite the Bible to match today. And, this, and they fill it with all the junk, all the rubbish. So it doesn't look like God's church anymore. It's just got church on the door. And that is what the representation, sadly, that many see is the church today. A compromised place with no power, no life, and everything around it is desert land. It's dry because there's no Holy Spirit. And that could be the same for your life. That maybe you've dug out your well and you've really been working well on making sure that God can flow in your life. But somewhere down the line, you turned your back on taking care of the process because maybe you started thinking about something else. And while you had your back turned, the enemy stole it from you. Or he started filling it in with other stuff. And you started following the wrong kind of gospel. You started to neglect the Holy Spirit. And you started to think, well, it's okay to do this. It's okay to live like this. It's okay to do those sins. It's okay. But the word hasn't changed and the word never will. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. If we try and get rid of the truth, how's anyone going to get set free? Everyone's going to stay bound. And that's the problem. The church is binding people more because it's not bringing them the truth because it doesn't want to say the truth anymore because they think it's too harsh. But it's the truth that sets us free. And we've been complicit. The church, I mean, the general church has been complicit in filling in the well and they're wondering why it's not working. And it's time that we take back that which was, that which was dug. People have dug out wells in the past. People have dug out to ensure that God can move. And it's time that we start reclaiming that territory. Maybe it's in your own life. Maybe it's an area of your life where the enemy's managed to have a stronghold or somebody's had a stronghold. It's time to take it back. It's time to give it back to God. It's time to let God flow. It's time to let the Holy Spirit be the voice that you listen to and not the others. Then he went up, 23. Then he went up there to Bathsheba. Whoa, this place keeps coming up. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. And he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Isaac returns to the place where the tree that represents him was planted by Abraham. The tree that Abraham wouldn't enjoy, but it was for Isaac and his descendants. He goes back to this place, the place where the covenant was made. 
the place where Abraham dug the well and took it back. Because he realized he'd taken his eyes off of God because he was so focused on the promise that the enemy came and stole which Abraham had dug, which Abraham had grafted, what Abraham had put work into. And maybe you're here today and you've served the Lord for some time. And you've grafted and you've dug and you've grafted and you've dug. And you just feel like, God, I feel like I'm doing a lot of digging and I'm not seeing many, many much return from it. And God says, you keep digging. I'm not asking you to do anything else than tend the well. Keep digging. Make sure it's flowing. Make sure it's working. If the brick falls off, you fix it. You keep your eyes on that because that, if you take your eyes off that, the enemy's going to come in and he's going to steal it and he's going to fill it in. Our job is not to focus on the promise. Our job is to focus on the process. Because Isaac is now dwelling in the land that Abraham was meant to be attending to, but took his eyes off. So the enemy came in. So then Abraham had to buy back, which was already his. This is how messy it gets if we turn our back on the process. Because we're so focused on why have we not got the promise. And then what we do is we try and fulfill the promise by making mess, by trying to fix it ourselves. And there's a whole other story about that with Ishmael that we could go into another day. Take back what was dug, what you dug, what others have dug. Isn't it interesting? I didn't even think about this until I was in the worship. Isn't it interesting that on today when we're doing Remembrance Sunday, that this is the word of God? I didn't even think about it. That people have dug, people have served, people have poured in and poured out blood to ensure that this land could be here today. We need to take it back. We need to take it back. I sound like an extreme extremist. Cut that from. We need to take back our land. <laughs> yeah. But we need to we need to recognize that others have dug, and that we took our eyes, or the generation that came before us took their eyes off of the mission. They were so focused on themselves and what they could get. This is the problem, isn't it? You go to most churches now, they're full of old people. There's nobody else there and they're happy with that. I've know, I know this because I've been there, but also I've heard such horrible stories of people walking into such places and instead of people going, somebody's just walked into the church. They're like, you sat in my seat. And we laugh about it, but that's the state of the church. That's the truth. And why is it just old people? Why is it just old people? Because they will not take the risk. They will not take the risk. They will not, they're not willing to let go and give it to the generation that's coming through. They're not willing to say, here you go. They're saying, no, it's ours. We built this. We grafted this. My great-grandfather is mine. I did it. And it's like, well, you're going to die very soon. Do you not want it to continue? And what's happening, and this is truth, churches are shutting down every day across the world because people are not allowing, are not tending to their wells. They're not keeping them dug out. They're allowing the enemy to come in and steal. They're allowing the wells to be filled with stuff. Just to let you know, me and Noah are having a conversation. That's what's going on. Hey, mate. Then Abimelech came to him from Girah with Huzath, one of his friends, and Philco, the commander of the army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent 
me away from you. And they said, we have certainly seen the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that we would do, that you would do us no harm since we've not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are, you are the blessed of the Lord. And so they made a feast and ate and drank and then they arose in the morning and swore an oath to one another. Oh, I've lost my poppy. And um, to one another and Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. As soon as Isaac was back in the place which represented the process and also the promise, Isaac was the promise in the place of the process. Yeah, what Abraham was meant to be working on. As soon as he was there, there was peace. As soon as he, as he was where he was meant to be, there was peace. You want to know why your life sucks sometimes? Why it's a bit crazy? You're not where you're meant to be. God just wants you to attending to the process, the thing that he's asking you to do. But you're so focused on trying to do things for God that you're stressed. And sometimes you're not even walking with God because you think, oh, I can't cope with it. It's not doing things the way I want. It's not done in the time when I want. And you're wondering why you're stressed. You think, I follow God. Why am I stressed? Well, because you're not where you are supposed to be. And as soon as Isaac was where he's supposed to be, peace. As long as you're where God wants you to be, you can be in a storm and you can still have peace. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And he said, we found water. And they said to him, we found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Bathsheba to this day. Sheba means oath. Oath means promise. The place where the process was is also the place known as the promise. You're so focused on what isn't happening right now, what isn't going on, that you're not attending to the process, but it's the process, if you focus to it, is where the promise is going to show up. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Start digging. Maybe you've just turned around. Maybe you've just gone, oh, I forgot my well, and somebody's come along and filled it in. Maybe you filled it in. Maybe you filled it in with some junk, some distractions, some things that shouldn't be there. Maybe you get there and you're like, hang on a minute, there's a stronghold over this. So it's because the enemy's come in and stolen it from you. You've got to fight for it now. You've got to fight to get it back. I believe God is saying to someone today, you know that God is working on your promise, but you are neglecting the process. And in doing so, the enemy is stealing that which you had dug. The enemy is filling in your wells, undoing what was done, what God had done, because you are distracted by the promise not being there now. You are not attending to the process that will house the promise. Abraham and Isaac arrived and they had to go, um, Abraham and Isaac arrived, they had to go, he had to go back around and reclaim that which he had dug. God is teaching us now. Let's not be people that have to reclaim it. Let's be people that stand on it and protect it and maintain it. I believe the church has allowed the world 
and has allowed the Holy Spirit to, and, and the world has allowed the Holy Spirit to be removed from our nation. And the church has helped fill in the wells so that the water, the Holy Spirit, that's in the desert place, our nation, cannot flow. And our nation greatly needs the flow of the Holy Spirit. The church needs to repent. We need to repent. And we need to fight to take back that which we or others have dug. So that the promise of the Holy Spirit can truly live. This world needs Jesus. Yeah? If we do not reopen that which is blocking him, if we do not fight to take back that which others fought for and others dug for, God cannot move over our nation. The church needs to fight. We need to fight. So that the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is promised, can prosper in our land. Because we are willing to go through the process, not just wait for the promise. And finally, I just want to shout out to anyone here today. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you have blocked in your lives and you feel that he is far away from you. But God is saying today, if you can just open your heart to him today, he will come in and he'll move in your life and he'll unblock your well. We just have a Rob, is that okay? Father, I thank you for this word. Lord, I thank you, God, that as a church, as the church as well, across our nation, Lord, we need to come before you and repent. And Lord, we need to make sure that we attend to our well in our personal lives and as a church so that if people show up, God, they are getting the full benefit of that well. They're not getting a blocked-in well. They're not getting somebody else's opinion not getting the latest uh, thing that's going on in the world that the church has to adapt to or compromise on. They're getting your truth and your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray, bring, bring conviction to church leaders across our city and across our nation. Lord, that they will realize that their wells have been filled in with junk, that the enemy has stolen that which was dug. Some of these places represented you in great ways, God, before. It's time that they represent you again. It's time that the light is shining again. It's time that the true gospel of Jesus Christ is preached again. It's time that the church stands up. It's time that the church fights against the enemy. It doesn't just give in and say, well, I did dig that, but, you know, the enemy's got it now. We fight. We fight to take it back. I dug that. I dug that. Someone else dug that. I'm fighting to take it back because it's God's, not yours. It's not the world's. It's not Satan's. It's God's. Are we going to fight? Are we going to take responsibility for the process more so than the promise? God will take care of the promise. Revival is on its way, church. 
But if we don't do the process, if we don't attend to the wells, God can do whatever he wants, but the church will not be ready. And it will just fizzle out because it won't know what to do with the water that God pours out because it hasn't got a well. So Father, I pray every single person in this church is responsible for their own well and for the well in this church. And the church, if you're visiting from another church, you are responsible for the well in your church. Anyone watching online, you're responsible for the well in your church. If it's filled, get a shovel and start digging. It's time. It's time to take back that which the enemy has stolen. You've done work with God. You work through the addiction. And now it's creeping back in. Why? Because you turned your back on the process and you've allowed the enemy to come in and steal what you'd already dug. Turn back around, kick the devil out and start digging again. Start working with God that that addiction will be gone for good. It's time. It's time. Take it back. I don't know what it is in your life that the enemy has stolen from you, but it is your responsibility because you turned your back on it and let him steal it. You've got to repent for that. You've got to repent for it. You can't just say, oh, the enemy came and stole it. The enemy has no power over the name of Jesus. So the only reason the enemy has got some control over your life, the only reason the enemy was able to rob you from something that you were doing with the Lord is because you turned your back on it. Repent, turn around and start focusing on your well. Get your shovel and start digging. You've got to search yourself, church. Stop blaming others. Oh, I would have been this if they hadn't done that. Nope. If it was just you and God, that was enough. Stop blaming others for your failures. Turn around. Repent and start digging again. Let them go. Forgive them. Move forward. The enemy's stolen too much for too long. The church has given him too much power for too long. And it's just because we turned our back on the process, church. Turn around. And start digging. Start digging. Stop blaming people that you are not blessed. Because that promise is still on its way. But you have to be in the process, the place of process, in order to receive the promise. If we want to see revival, church, if we really want to see this nation turn, because churches doing good things, churches trying to honor God, that will get so far. But this nation is so dead to God, it needs an awakening of the Holy Spirit. And the only way the Holy Spirit can flow is if the church starts becoming the well it was meant to be so the Holy Spirit can flow from each church and impact this nation. Churches need to repent. Christians need to repent for taking their eyes off of their responsibility. It's not just about today. It's about the generation that was to come. And we failed. And it's time that we own that. And we say, Satan, no more. I'm taking back my well. I dug that well. It's mine. I'm taking it back because God gave me stewardship over it and I am responsible for it. So if you're in this place right now, whether it is you want to give your life to Jesus or whether you want to 
whether you know that it's time for you, that you've been turning your back on your responsibility as a Christian because you've been so focused on God blessing you and giving you the promises and doing things the way you want that you've missed, that he's given you an assignment and you've neglected that assignment and in that neglection, the enemy has either stolen it or you with the enemy have filled it with junk. If that's you, will you stand? If you just know that you just need to take back that which the enemy has stolen, that which you've allowed the enemy to take from you, just stand. Just stand. And do something really brave. Turn 180. So you're facing the wrong way right now, but turn 180. And face back to the process. Face back to what God has given you. And I want you just to picture this right now. Picture this right now. God is giving you a shovel. And he's saying, let's dig. Let's start digging. Let's take it back. And he says, you can use the shovel to whack the devil too if you want. But let's start digging. Let's take back what the enemy has stolen. We've been digging for too long to waste any of that time and just let it go people have been digging for too long before us to ensure that this nation could even stand, to ensure that Christianity even had a voice in this place. We can't let that go now. We've got to start fighting. We've got to fight to make sure that Jesus can, can be the loudest voice, the most powerful being in this land because that's what we need. We need the power of God. And the church is powerless without the Holy Spirit. You are powerless without the Holy Spirit. Take it back. Take it back. Take back what the enemy stole and start digging. Oh, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for anybody that, at home that maybe is doing this too. And Father, I thank you, God, for the bravery of the people that stood today. There are people that aren't standing, guys, that should be standing, but they're a bit ashamed. But that you've stood. You've stood and you've done this. So I want to just... Applaud you in that. But this is what the Lord is saying. Don't turn back. Don't put your eyes on the promise anymore. Because the promise is going to show up in the process. But you need to start digging. This is your responsibility. It's all of our responsibility. Tend to the well. Ensure the Holy Spirit can flow in your life. And in the life of the church, make sure that you do not let the enemy come back. Make sure you do not let the world come in and fill in the well again. Take it back for Jesus. And let's see God change this nation. Let's see God turn this city around. What you're doing right now, church, in turning is exactly what God's going to do to this city. The world that does not know him is going to turn just like you are to Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit is able to flow. Oh Lord, I pray for everyone in this room right now. For those that are not standing, I'm assuming that they know that their well is attended to. Praise God. So Lord, everyone here right now, one way or the other, if stand up, if you're well, if you're happy with your well, that you've been doing what you need to do, stand up to. This is the army. This is the army. This is the army. This is the army. This is what God can do. 
everywhere you go from now on, if your well is dug and maintained, the Holy Spirit is going to flow in Sainsbury's, Tesco's, the streets, McDonald's, cinemas, wherever you go, schools, workplaces. As long as you take the shovel and you start digging so the water can flow again, you're going to see the Holy Spirit move like you've never seen him move in your life before. This has been a message that you have needed. Clear the way. Unblock the well. Respect that which others had dug and maintain it for the generation to come. Be a people that are willing to plant trees, to sow seeds that you will not get to enjoy, but they will. Be that generation, church. Don't hold on to your blessing. Give it away. Let's sow. Let's sow into the kingdom of God. Oh, Father, I thank you for this church. Thank you for this amazing family. Thank you for their heart and their willingness to say, here I am, send me. Will you move by the power of your Holy Spirit and just anoint every single one of them right now where they are for the new season that is ahead? Because God, they're going to be blown away by what you do through them. Lives are going to, people are going to get healed, church, just because you're in Sainsbury's. This is why it's important to maintain your wealth. People are going to give their lives to Jesus just because you decided to go and get a Big Mac. The Lord is saying, keep your eyes open. Don't look with your own eyes anymore. Look at everyone around you with my eyes. And there you will see your process. There you will see your assignment. I pray for anyone watching online, Lord. Will you bless them where they are? Will you fill them with your Holy Spirit? And will you anoint them as they make this stand? Thank you, Father.